0: You know what time of year it is, don't you folks? The weather's beginning to cool. I got out this morning, it was 63 degrees. It felt fantastic. But along with cooler weather comes this wonderful holy time of year. Football season. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. Others you don't care, don't know, doesn't matter. But for the rest of you, this is a great time of year where the season begins and and I love the start of new seasons because often it brings with it a different sport or a different activity. One of the cool things about being a parent is getting to pass on to your children um, an interest in sports. It doesn't matter if they're good at it, doesn't matter if they you know, like what you like or not, but just getting them exposed to it. And so we have two children, Stephen and Emma, and what's been interesting is as we've tried to expose them to different sports, the process of teaching them how to play the game is wildly entertaining. So for instance, if, if you've ever just watched a football game or a basketball game or a soccer game or a baseball game or, or whatever your sport may be, one of the things is we, that we take for granted are all the rules we know and why the rules are there. And it's real easy to miss what is going on because you kind of get confused with all the rules, and I remember with our son, when he began playing uh, soccer and then with basketball, you know, it's, you know the rules, you kind of go, okay, well, in this sport, you, you can't touch it with your hand. That's soccer. Unless you're the goalie. Then you touch it with your hand. Okay, so not hand, but yes, hand. Okay, I, I think I got it. But then over here, basketball, you don't touch it with your feet, but you touch it with your hands. And, and this one, you have a goal that you kick it into. And this one, you have to throw it in this little basket. And, and there are these rules, and, and how do you do it and all this. And I remember that moment when we... Tried to just strip it down for our kids, and we basically said, okay, okay. Here is the point, the goal of the game. If it's basketball, it's to get this ball into this basket more times than the other team gets this ball in this basket. That's it. This ball in this basket, this ball in this basket. If you want to know the the goal or the the summary of basketball, it's to get the ball in the basket. You say, well, what about soccer? Real simple, get this ball in this goal, this ball in this goal. What about the rules? We'll get to the rules. Let's start with the point. It is to get this ball into the goal. And here's what I want you to hear. I'm afraid that for many of us, we as Christ followers have gotten so focused on all of the other rules, the way to play the game that for some of us we have forgotten what is the goal of the game of life. What is it that we are here to do? And I love the story that we're coming into today in Mark chapter 12 because in this moment, Jesus is going to be asked a profound question question and he gives a profound answer he strips all the rules away and he says if you live for but one thing this is what you live for you get this to this you do this and this this is all that life is about and so we turn together to hear the question and see the response from jesus christ in mark chapter 12 beginning in verse 28 one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating we'll, we'll explain who them are in a moment noticing that jesus had given them all great answers he the teacher of the law he asked him jesus of all the commandments which is the most important so let me sort of set the stage for us for a moment here remember From the second half of chapter 11 all the way through chapter 12 of Mark is one day in the life of Jesus. This is Tuesday, according to Mark's reckoning. It's Tuesday of Jesus' last week before he is executed, crucified on the cross, buried in a tomb, and rises from the dead on Easter Sunday. We're at Tuesday. It's called Busy Tuesday in church history because so much happens. Jesus is being bombarded by questions, and he is dealing with the haters and dealing with insincere questions. And this one teacher of the law, he's listened to how Jesus has responded to the questions and he is just nailing it. I mean, he's just, all the questions, he's hitting answer after answer after answer out of the ballpark. And so this one teacher goes, man, this is good stuff. I've actually got a legitimate question to ask this teacher. So the teacher of the law comes to Jesus and he asks one of the biggest, most common questions of their day. Jesus. Of all the rules in the Old Testament, of all the laws that God gives, like what if you were to rank them, which one would you put at the very, very top? Now, this was a common question, but it didn't have any really good answers. In the Jewish law, according to the way they reckoned it, there were 613 laws and of those laws, they tried to rank them as the ones that were the light laws and those that were the heavy laws or the important laws. So can you categorize them? And so one person would say, okay, well, the heaviest law is this. And someone else would say, well, that's a good idea, but it doesn't answer this other question over here. And so the first person would go, well, you're right, so that's maybe not the heaviest. And someone else would offer a different law, and they'd say, well, yeah, but that one doesn't answer this over here. And so they can never really answer the question, What? is the greatest, the heaviest, the central law to rule them all. It's the one ring to rule them all, the one rule to rule them all. And this is the question that he comes to Jesus. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus does something very, very interesting here. Let's see if we can pick it up. Look what he says. The most important one, the most important law, that is, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Now notice this is really important here. Love the Lord your God. And he's about to show the dimensions of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Jesus is about to unpack what the greatest rule is. Now let's just pause here for a moment. Jesus is articulating a depth of love that our culture does not understand. In fact, if I were to ask you today to use the word love in a sentence, most of us would use the word love in many different sentences. And we've done this before, but let me just give you a couple examples, okay? So, for instance, this was an actual couple phrases that I used in the same same day, Um, We were at some friend's house the other night, and and they were making some hot dogs. Not just hot dogs, but they made, uh, like, brats or kielbasa. I'm not sure what, but it was heavenly. It, It was tube steak from heaven. Awesome stuff. Okay. And I remember that day, I had earlier said this phrase, I love my wife. Because I do. And then that evening, as I'm eating this meat from heaven, I say, and I love this hot dog. And you remember in high school or middle school or elementary school, depending on your maturity level, people would say, well, if you love it, why don't you marry it? You remember that? Maybe that was just a a natural thing. And so there's this thing where we'll use the same word to describe two completely different things. I love my wife, and I love an inanimate object. And we'd also, well, that's not what love is, right? So Jesus says, let me define love for you. It's heart, soul, mind, strength. Your heart, according to the Hebrews' understanding of the heart, to them the heart was the core of your being. It's who you are. To the Hebrews, your soul was your emotion. That was how you feel about things. Your strength is your energy and your willpower and your mind is what you think, what you meditate, your intellect and Jesus is saying, love God with the whole of your being. All your emotions are stirred for him. The will and energy of your life moves towards him. And you are not intellectually dull, but you think about him. You wrestle with things about him. You study. You learn. This is what it means to love and to love well. That's the first command. And then he says something else. He says, and, notice this, the second is like, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So now Jesus does something that is so important here. He answers the question by Scripture. By the way, church, if Jesus Christ used Scripture to answer his detractors or when he was in times of testing, how much more so ought we respond with Scripture when we are tempted, tested, and tried? How's that for a preacher alliteration? You should know the Scriptures. You should speak the Scriptures. This is how Jesus responds and how we do. Now, he does something interesting. When he responds, he doesn't respond with one passage, but he takes two laws. He pulls them out and he combines them and says, this is the greatest commandment and it's companion piece. You can't have one without the other. This is the greatest commandment. 613 laws. He pulls it down to these two. And he quotes the first one, Love the Lord your God. He begins it though with, Hear, O Israel. That is the Shema, hear in the Hebrew, from Deuteronomy 6. And to hear was not simply to listen, but it was to internalize and live out. He's saying, Hear, O Israel, love God with everything, Deuteronomy 6, and then love your neighbors and yourself. That's Leviticus 19. And this is what it means to fulfill the commandment. Now, Today's message is going to require a little audience participation, so I'm going to invite you to take your your notes right there, and I want to show you something that I first saw from Dr. Michael Glenn, and this is just sort of a way to envision what it means to make the goal of life, because here's the reality. Your life, whether you believe that you go on after this or whether you do not yet believe in Christ and there's something more afterward, wherever you may find yourself today, the reality is this. Your life is far too short and far too important to waste it missing the goal. And so I want to show you the goal of life according to Jesus. I want you to draw with me on your piece of paper a triangle. Can you draw a triangle? At the top of the triangle, I want you to write the word God. God. And on the bottom sides, I want you to write the words others and self. And this is your visual aid for life. In the middle of all this, just write four little letters L O V E, love. love. This is the answer to every question you will ever face. What should I do today? Well, I should love God, love others, and love myself. How should I interact with this coworker? Well, I should love this person as I love myself and as I love God. How should I treat my spouse today? Well, I should love my spouse. How should I treat my body? How should I take care of my body? Well, I should love my body because of this. How should I respond in this situation in a difficult moment of temptation? Well, I should love God. How should I use my finances? Well, I should use them to love God, others, and self. This becomes the answer to every question that you will ever face. You're welcome, by the way. (laughs) So just pull this out. If you don't know what to do, pull it out, and this is what you do. Now, God is at the top of this because we always start with God. It all begins with him. There's this word that you'll see throughout the scriptures. It is the word glory. Everybody, would you say the word glory with me? Glory. And if you're a real southern person, you kind of let it draw like glory. And and you just kind of get it in there, okay? The word glory, another word for that is the word weight or mass or gravity. When you think about A large object, the larger the object, it creates a gravitational pull. So in our solar system, the largest object is the sun. And because of its weight, because of its mass, because of its gravity, it controls the orbit of all of the planets. The reason we start with God, the reason he is first when we talk about love is because there is nothing and no one else who has the weight, who has the mass, the gravity to keep the planets of your life in orbit. If you take God out of the center and put anything else in the middle of it, your life will begin to fall apart. Things will bump into one another. So you put your work into the center of your life. It does not have the weight, the glory, the mass to be able to take care of your relationship with your wife, the relationship with your husband. It doesn't have the weight to manage relationships and expectations. So you take your workout instead you put yourself into the center of your life what you want what you desire your goals your ego and your ego does not have the weight to be able to manage your children to work well with others to deal with finances well to honor do you see what i'm saying there's only one who has the weight the glory who can keep the elements of your life in their proper orbit and so we always begin with loving God now here's the thing if you love God God is going to send you someone to love have you noticed this God says oh you love me great meet Bob have fun or God will say oh you love me here's this person in your work they're difficult love them one of the things that you find as a follower of Jesus is that if you love God, he will always send you someone to love. Now, here's the interesting thing. If we go to Luke's account of this same text, which you'll find is a story that Jesus tells about a man going on a trip from one city to another. And along the way, he goes through a very dangerous place where he is robbed, beaten up, and left for dead. While he's laying there on the side of the road, two religious people come one after the other. They see him, and because they do not understand what Jesus is teaching, they continue on their way. But a third man comes. He's a good man. His name is Sam. Sam the Samaritan, okay? And so the good sam you're going, oh, that's where he gets that. Yeah, that's bad. The Samaritan comes on by, and he sees this man. Now, here's what's interesting about the story. We always want to argue about, well, who are the others? Who are my neighbors? And we begin to define neighbor as those who live within a certain perimeter around us. What's so interesting is this man, he's coming along, and he's not driving an ambulance, meaning he's not on a mission to rescue this guy. Rather, he is passing by and sees this man in need. Now, because the Samaritan is not a doctor, he does not perform surgery. Rather, he does what he can do, and he takes him to someone else who can help him in the way he needs. He gets him where he needs to go. He doesn't do everything for him. He just does what he can do. Because he is not uh, going to his own home, but he's on a trip, he can't take the man back to his house. Instead, he takes him somewhere where he may be taken care of. Here's the point. You don't have to do everything for someone But you are called to do what God has given you to do. And so he goes and he finds this man and he takes him to where he's going. So Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor? Who is it that God is sending for me to love? Here's the answer. Your neighbor is anyone you run into in the course of your day who needs your help. That's your neighbor. So maybe it is a co-worker. Or maybe it is the cashier. Or maybe it is that toddler at home. Or maybe it's that aging parent. Or maybe it's that disgruntled neighbor or difficult friend. That is your neighbor. And I know for a lot of us, we say, okay, I got it. I got it. But how do I help others when I'm just not able to even manage myself? I've got so much going on. How do I do this? Part of our problem in America is we do not understand the idea of self-love. Self-love. We get it all mixed up with other things. In fact, we confuse self-love with what the world calls self-esteem. And by the way, the world is absolutely the worst at this, isn't it? The world says you need self-esteem. I love what one friend said. He said, you want to know how you get self-esteem? You get it by lying to your children. That is correct. You get it by, well, your son goes out for the baseball team. And he just is horrible at it. He misses every hit, he's dropped three fly balls, the team hates him, and he's coming off the field feeling bad about himself, but what do you say? Way to go, buddy! You're awesome at this! Outstanding job! Now he thinks, I thought I did a pretty bad job, but my mama or my daddy said, I did really, really well. And so they learn not to trust themselves. Because they think one thing, but they've been told something that does not match up to reality. So where does loving oneself come from? Well, it comes from understanding this. Understanding who you are. See, self-esteem is built on what you do. How well you've performed. When you made it and you were the best. When you didn't fail. That is what the world says your value in as a person comes from. But a person who understands what God, Jesus, is saying. They say, no, I know who I am. My value, my self-love is not based on my self-performance. In fact, the scriptures will say, you want to know where self-love comes from? It comes from the fact that you were chosen. That's what Ephesians 1 says. Second Peter tells us that you are beloved that you are a child of God. I remember uh, that really awkward and sort of scary moment as an adolescent boy when out on the playground or out with friends or, and, and, and you're going to play a game and you know how it always begins. You have to pick captains first, right? And they always pick the two greatest players. They pick this one and this one. And then the captains begin to pick players on their team. In fact, for some of us, you think about this and you begin to get a cold sweat because of the memories that come back from that moment. You're like, oh, no, please just don't, don't let me be last or, or don't let me be this. And then you start to look around at the other players and you're just like, oh, please just don't let me be after this person or that person. Now, one of the interesting things about playing the game is I was never the best athlete And I know that is absolutely shocking to you right now as you look at my mammoth size and physical prowess. But it's true. I was not the greatest player. But here's what was neat. I did not have to be the best player. I just needed to be on the best player's team. Because you knew, and every one of us had that kid who was two and a half feet taller than everyone else. They already had a mustache when they were seven years old. You know the kid I'm talking about. The one who was just bigger and badder and stronger. And you knew that if you were on that person's team, then you would win. It didn't matter how well you played the game because you were on the greatest player's team. Do you understand that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on a cross for you, for me. He kicked the teeth out of death's face, rose from the grave and said, If you want to win, you come to me. Your self-worth, your love of self comes because there is a God who loves you so much and he is effectively powerful enough to do what you and I can't do and he rescues us and he draws us in and he says, this is where your worth comes from. It comes from knowing who you are, that you are loved by God. Now here's the reality. If you begin to try to live this love out of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and others, and yourself. Here's what you're going to find. You can't do one without doing all three. Have you noticed that? So you say, well, I love God, but I hate some people. How many of you have ever had this moment? Maybe you haven't, or maybe you have, but let's just say for a moment I come up to you and I say, boy, I I love you. I I just, oh, I think the world of you. You're amazing, (gasps) But your kids, I hate your kids. Now, let's just be honest. If I said that, two things are probably true. Number one, I'm a jerk. Number two, though, I might be knocked out. Amen? Because you know that you and your family are a package deal. It is impossible to love you while hating your family. Do you see what I'm saying? It is impossible for me to say, I love you, God, but I hate all of your kids. I love you, God, but I can't stand your bride, the church. I love you, God, but these people, they tick me off, and I'm out. Here's the reality. If you choose to love God, you will have to learn, and you will be drawn into learning to love other people. Okay, so you say, well, fine, I got that, but you know what? I'm going to love other people. But for some of us, the truth is, if, if we were just to be real honest, it is a lot easier to love God and even love others, but, but for some of us in here, We kind of hate ourselves. We know what we've done. We know where we've been. We know where we've failed. And so we say, I I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to love others. I I don't like myself, but I'm still going to love other people. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. But here's the reality. You can only give what you already have in you. This is why Jesus says, love your neighbors as you love yourself. If you do not love you, you will be an empty vessel attempting to fill other people up. And here's what happens when people who do not love themselves, who do not like themselves, who do not value themselves try to love others. What ends up happening is they don't love and pour out into others, but because there's this vacuum in them, they're constantly pulling and taking and trying to get something from others, a sense of self-worth, a validation of approval. Just like a triangle has three points, and if you take any one of them away, it's no longer a triangle. Love has three points. God, others, and self. You take any one of them away, and you don't have what Jesus is describing. The other thing you're going to find if you try to do this for any length of time is how impossible it is to do this well. How many of you have put on your day planner, Today, I'm going to love everyone perfectly. Perfectly. How'd that go for you? By the way, the best time to write that down is right before you're going to go to sleep for the rest of the day. Because then you can love people brilliantly so long as you are not with them or awake. Amen? So, like, this is one of those things. I'm going to try next week to love God perfectly, every thought, action, everything. And I'm going to love other people. And then I'll be doing a great job until I get in rush hour traffic tomorrow morning. Or until the coworker takes credit for something I did, or my spouse doesn't meet an unspoken expectation, you say. So how do I do this? If this is so simple, but so tough to do sometimes, how do we do this? I want you to see the last portion of this text, and then we're going to call it in the morning because these are the words that I find so much encouragement. The religious leader, the teacher of the law says, "Well said." Teacher, I love this. He's saying, a boy, Jesus. What to say what you said in the Bible a long time ago? Good job, Jesus. Well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. He goes on, to love God with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's saying, this is is the thing. This is the goal. And the sacrifices and the burnt offerings, this is what we were taught to do as little Jewish boys, little Jewish girls. When we could not keep the rules, we had to pay for our breaking them with sacrifice and burnt offerings. And so because he knew he could not keep all the laws, he references even here the sacrificial system, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, because this is the only way to make up for it. But if you've ever been in that world, and many of us have, where you say, I can't do it, but I'm going to keep trying, I'm going to work harder, I'm just going to try harder, I'll make up for it, God, I'll make up for it. It's exhausting. And you'll end up back saying, I don't really love myself because I can't do what I've been called to do. Woe is me. Where is the hope? Yes, Jesus, it is so simple. Just love God, others, and self, but it is so impossible. How do I do this? And Jesus says this to the man. Look at these final words. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You say, well, how's that hope? For years when I read this passage, family, I thought Jesus was saying, yes, you figured out the secret recipe for getting in God's good graces. Just work really, really hard at loving God. Just work really, really hard at loving others. Work really, really hard at loving yourself. And if you work hard enough, then you'll be okay. And I used to think that's what this was saying. But family, this is not what he is saying. When he says you are not far from the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. The kingdom of God is... Is wherever the King is. This man is standing face to face with the King of the Kingdom of Heaven. And this man doesn't even know how close he is to the one who grants life, who grants forgiveness, who grants peace who lives perfect love. He says, you are not far from the kingdom. I am right here. If you want this kind of life, if you want to live a life of meaning, if you don't want to miss the goal, it is not about striving harder. It's about drawing nearer. It is not about doing more. It's not about you somehow perfecting your life. It is about you drawing near to God. Remember the verse, if you draw near to God, He will what, church? Draw near to you this is why it's all about starting with the gravity of god the weight of god that in those moments where you feel like you've absolutely failed the tendency is to say i've got to pull away from god i'll work on my sex myself i'll fix myself i'll be the guy and then when i come back god i'll be better he says don't do that you come to me you draw closer to me If you want this life, if you want to live love, you can't do it on your own. You are close to the kingdom of God. You draw near to me. This is what it means to live life well. And so to my friends, I just want to say to you this morning, some of you this morning, you are trying to do it on your own and it is not working. And you see this and you go, yeah, God, I'll try harder this week. And yet the word of God would say you can't do it on your own. But the good news is the one who can do it perfectly is here. And he's inviting you, just draw near to him and he will help you. And he'll lay on you his righteousness, his perfection in all the places that you don't. And he'll take on himself all the areas where you failed. This is the goal of life.